Yeah. The men's and women's soccer players, the men's and women's lacrosse players, having to go from little old UCF down in Central Florida all the way out to Arizona. Yeah. But like, but here's those the question: Sports don't always have the same budget as like a football team. No, and that's and this is this is something that I found extremely important, and I'm happy that you let into it because it was something I was going to bring up. And it's something that just showed up on our feed here. Why do we talk about geography anymore? It's just semantics. It's not because these schools are making decisions based on football and not really on basketball. It's based on football and it's based on football so much that commissioners and ADs and people all over. I mean, they're saying that it is, you know, in the past, maybe they would have inferred that it is. Maybe they would have let you guess that it was all about football. But now they'll they'll look right into the camera and say, this is about football. This is a football move. We did it for football. It's about football, football, football. I mean, they they're not hiding that it's about football anymore. And I think when we take a good hard look at what's currently going on, that question of what do we do with these Olympic sports? Do they get any respect? Are they going, how are they going to be handled? Are you going to really bus Penn State 2,000 miles to UCLA? Are you going to start playing neutral games at other arenas, which is going to take away from your fan base? You know, I, I don't really understand the logic of what about softball? What about baseball? The Mizzou head coach brought up something that, I've been thinking about that you've been talking about. And, you know, I'm happy that he brought it up. And I actually want to read his quote here because I'm thankful that a coach said this publicly. So this is from Missouri head football coach Eli Drinkwitz. This is what he said. A quote, did we count the cost for the student athletes involved in this decision? We're talking about a football decision. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross country? Do we know what the number one symptom or cause of mental health is? It's the lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. That's if there's not a rain delay. Uh, They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. But what? But did we consider the people that we are entrusted with? Did we consider the student, athlete, and quote? The answer? Hell no. They considered the money. Then they thought about the money. Then they went back and looked at the money. And then they said money. And then they went money. And then it made sense because money. That's all this is at the end of the day. It's money. It's greed. It's more and more and more because their stomachs cannot be full enough of the gluttonous food that they need to eat as a conference. And I'm not here to bash the Big 12 or bash the Big 10 or bash any anybody that's making a decision. I'm just saying, call it what it is. It is gluttonous, ridiculous, selfish, powerful moves to just be the ones that can have the most money, be the ones that can have the most dangling carrots. That's what all this is about. This has nothing to do with student athletes' health and wellness. 
it has nothing to do with that. And anybody that thinks that that there's any care for student athlete health and well-being is out of your mind. This is about the money, and it's always been about the money. And until something changes and people get annoyed with all this to the point to make a change, it's always going to be about the money, Murph. You're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, you know, me being a former college athlete for four years, granted I played two different sports, but the travel for those two sports is similar. Yeah. Right? We went by van. Other than our other than our Florida trip, we went by van, which wasn't the most comfortable and enjoying well, it was enjoyable because we made it enjoyable, but it wasn't always the most comfortable experience. Yeah. You know, when we had to go to Delaware for a golf tournament. Now, granted, I didn't travel with the team because I was at the jet game the night before. Um, so, hmm. um, sorry, Coach Carmen, I was a little hungover for that tournament. Um, I will, I will be willing to admit that on uh, live on air. Um, but you know, traveling down to Delaware for a tournament like that, granted, it's only a couple hours. Yeah. But you're still sitting in a van. It's not really fun. No. Baseball. I never, I never got, I never got to go on the the trip to Marymount because I didn't travel. With, I didn't travel for a row game my second year, so part of the reason why I didn't play after that. But you know, talking to the guys, they would have to stay down there yeah. if they went for the weekend series. Because keep in mind, in, in Division three college baseball, it's two days. It's a weekend series. It's Friday at your place, two games Saturday at their place. Yeah. So. You know, that's not the most ideal thing in the world, especially when you're playing teams like that. Now, I think they've changed it recently to all three games are at are at one place. So, you know, if you had to go down to Marymount, now you actually stay there for the weekend. Yeah. Um, or you stay there Friday night. But at the same time, even when we did the Florida trip, we were up five. We had, I think we had to leave for the airport. 5.30 in the morning, something like that, you know, and you have a whole travel day. You get to the airport at 6 a.m. up in Avoca and Scranton. Flight's not till 8. We take off. We land in Orlando around 10, 1030. Then you've got a two and a half hour car ride to Port St. Lucie. Yeah. You don't get there till you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. We're all tired because, you know, we had a half day of travel where we had to wake up at the crack of dawn in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, we're in Florida, which is nice. The weather's beautiful. You know, they bring us lunch, but then we go practice. Then we got an 8 8 o'clock game the next morning. So we got to be up early for that. Yeah. Not easy. No. I didn't really play in those games, but it's not easy. But he was absolutely right when he said that they did not take take into consideration the student-athlete. No. And being a former student-athlete, that's the most important thing you've got to remember. Now, I understand that it's a money thing. Now, technically, keep in mind the NCAA is a nonprofit organization, but <laughs> the conferences yeah. are not. Sorry, that cough was uh, purposely at that time, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For tax purposes. Yeah. Um, Must be nice. That's how they keep their money coming in, you know, from enforcing these rules that they do. And from the conferences, taking all this money from the schools to play wherever. Yeah. Right. 
I love the non-conference act aspect of college football and college basketball and college baseball for that matter. Because you can go have a non-conference game or non-conference series against a good team. Yeah. Well, Florida's played Utah the last two years. UCF wanted all wanted all the smoke from Florida when they were claiming their national championship at the time. They wanted to claim that they were the best team in the state of Florida. Well, they're not. Maybe they are now because Florida's you know, not going to have probably not going to have a great year this year. But you know, at the time, they were not better than Florida, but they wanted to find out. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah, these schools don't play each other all the time, but why not keep it that way with the non-conference schedule? Let them play each other every couple of years. Yeah. Let Florida go to the Pacific Northwest, go play Oregon once or twice. Let Alabama go up to Penn State. Let Ohio State go out and play USC. Not a conference, though. The way it, the way it is, conferences, and I, and I said this before and I'll say it again, the conferences needed to stay geographical. Yeah. When you have all this travel, I don't care when your game is, if you're Rutgers going to UCLA, going out to play at USC at the Coliseum, that's a six-hour flight. You can't cut that short. That's yeah. a six, probably six and a half hours from Newark, from Newark to LAX. Yeah. And then you got to play a football game or a baseball game. Or a soccer game. And then you get right back on the plane and drive and travel five hours back to the East Coast. Jet stream, you save some time. That's not good for kids' mental health. No. And I'm and I'm not saying that like I'm not and I'm not saying that like as a, a huge mental health advocate. Now, obviously, you know, mental health's important. If if these kids are, you know, they're not mentally healthy, there's gonna ha- they're gonna have problems, and that's not good for them or for anybody. Yeah. But it's it's a grind. It's mental torture. You know, some people are strong enough to take it. Some people aren't. The kids that aren't aren't going to last. Yeah. You don't want to basically force kids off a team for that. No, but it's you know the thing is, and we we talk about this mental health side of things, which is incredibly important. And again, that's why I appreciate that Eli Drinkwitz actually brought this up, but. This side of it is the important side of it. The student athlete, here's the thing. NIL is not a bad thing. It just doesn't have any parameters and it's being used in recruiting and it's a massive violation when it's used in recruiting. So that makes it a bad thing in that angle. It's not a bad thing, but and most things aren't. Most things by theory are not bad. It's what you do with the theory. It's how you implement the theory that can make it bad or good. It was a theory that they could do different things with atoms and create a bomb. It was a theory, but then they put it into action and then they made the atomic bomb and then they used it. And then hundreds of thousands of people got affected by it. So when you look at theory and idea, on paper, name, image, and likeness makes sense. Why? Because the NCAA makes money off these kids. They deserve to make money off themselves. The transfer portal makes sense. Why? Because coaches lie to kids. Because there's toxic environments. Because a kid might want to be closer to home. Because a family member might get sick. It makes sense with those 
pieces, if they were lied to, it makes sense. But where it doesn't make sense, where the theory gets lost in translation, is when you implement the transfer portal and people are just running all over the place, crying boohoo to themselves, and nobody's working hard because they're just too busy running away from any type of adversity or confrontation or having to, God forbid, earn their spot on a team. So there's good implementation. There, there's a good theory in NIL. There's a good theory in the transfer portal. But they are not being implemented correctly because the NCAA has proven a million times that they can't make good decisions for whatever reason. The left brain's not talking to the right and we're not getting anywhere inside of the NCAA. So with all of that being said, conference realignment comes about. You were trying to figure out NIL. We're trying to figure out the transfer portal. Signs of the apocalypse are happening all over collegiate athletics because none of this makes sense. And we get to a point of where we are right now. And I bring up NIL and the transfer portal because of this free agency, this free movement. I said months ago to Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, I said the transfer portal isn't anything new. Coaches and institutions have been in the transfer portal for many years. And he said, Dan, I love that. I think I'm going to use that. That is the truth. A decade ago and some change in 2012, collegiate athletics blew up. Now it's blowing up in a way that makes no sense. Now, my prognostication of a couple years ago was that the SEC was going to form its own league. I said after that that the SEC could have the Big Ten come with them. I now firmly believe that the Big Ten and the SEC will form their own because on the map, which I shared on our social media, the, the show that I did a year ago, and I can't believe it's been a year, but the map of the Midwest to the East Coast, the South Middle to the Southeast, and, and putting that all together, when you look at the Big Ten and you look at that Midwest to the East and you look at the SEC from the South Middle to the Southeast, they touch each other and they take up that middle part to the east in a really good fashion in a lot of really good markets with really good teams and institutions. And then you go and take four from the West Coast for the Big Ten, which I think was the Big Ten's way of saying, hey, you get the South, we'll get the North. And if we go get the West, we can form our own league and people are going to watch it. And some people say to me, Dan, they're not going to watch it. Really? You're not going to watch a national championship and regard it as a national championship if it's Oregon, Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, LSU, Georgia, Penn State. I mean, come on, folks, Michigan, those name brands. Let's be real about it. The name brands of the Big Ten are why they always have a spot in the college football playoff. It's not because they deserve it. It's because they have the names. So you have the branding. Everybody who wouldn't want to see Florida, Michigan, who wouldn't want to see Penn State, Georgia. The Big Ten and the SEC have made decisions so that they can leave, so that they can form their own governing body, their own playoff, their own championship. The SEC has a multi-team playoff instead of just a championship game. <clears throat> the Big Ten has a multi-team playoff. After they decide their champion, the Big Ten and the SEC play for the national championship. 
that's college football playoff one, unless they just call it something else. College football playoff two is everybody else. Now, <clears throat> the Big 12 is trying to make that move. I don't think the Big 12 has enough to jump. They could, but I think it's the Big 10 and the SEC. And then I think the Big 12 is going to be with the ACC, with the American, with the Mountain West, with the Sun Belt, with the MAC, Conference USA. And then we're going to have the FCS still stay the FCS and do their, you know, playoff picture and all of that. And the things that are very workable with the FCS, who I think have been doing it right for many more years than the FBS and having a multi-team playoff. So that's what I think is happening. All of this realignment has certified that to me. Why are they making non-geographical decisions? Why are they making nonsensical decisions? Because the Big Ten had to do something to sell themselves to the SEC. And I think at this point, feet to the fire, 51% of me believes that they've done enough to get the SEC to take them into the new league. That's an interesting perspective on it, for sure. But, you know, and, and you made a good point. All the big, the big-time schools in probably the vast majority of sports yeah. right now yeah. are either in the SEC or the Big Ten. Yeah. As of 2024. Yeah. So for next season. You're um, missing two. You got Clemson and Notre Dame. Yeah. And realistically, it would not shock me if that all happens, if they end up joining up. It would not shock me one bit. Yeah, well, Notre Dame's going to have to do especially something. Especially Notre Dame, because Notre Dame is independent. Right. Because Notre Dame could play anybody. Right. So, knowing how good Notre Dame is on a consistent basis at not just football, not just basketball, pretty much every sport. Yeah. Their baseball program's pretty solid. They will... They would be in. They would be in on something like that, and so would Clemson. But even looking at the rest of, you know, college sports. I mean, maybe Kansas for basketball. You know, um, I don't. I'm Texas Tech, maybe, but even them, probably not. Maybe TCU. But at the same time, you've got eight. You'll have eighteen teams in the Big Ten. And 16 teams in the SEC. The SEC and Big Ten dominate college football. Yeah. I don't think, other than Clemson, I don't think we've had a non-SEC Big Ten national champion in a long time. But think about this. That's 34 teams in the country. Yeah. That's 34 teams and in dominate. the country. And you, but you look at it, again, look at the list. 34 teams in the country. If the SEC and the Big Ten form their own league, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, as well as Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC, UCLA, Oregon, all in their own league. All leave together and form their own, not, and form their own whatever the hell they want to call it, Big Ten, SEC, Bonanza, but look at the products. What are, I mean, what are, perfectly valid. right. What do you mean? Cause that's what somebody said to me, Dan, they're not going to regard that as a national champion. Well, nobody in the North is going to pay attention. To, no, if you have, if you have the Midwest to the East and you have the South middle to the East and you've taken up two thirds of the country, then you go and get products from the West coast. 
you've taken up because what are you missing? What are you missing in that little slit in between? You're missing what? Arizona? You, you know, maybe Arizona. Okay, but football-wise, they're not they're not relevant right now. Arizona State's not relevant right now. So you can argue right now that the only part of the country that they did not go after in the SEC and the Big Ten are parts of the country that don't have valuable football at this moment in time. Not that I don't value the student-athletes. Let's be clear in a world where we mince everybody's words except for our own. Let's be real. The competition in the only part of the country that the SEC and the Big Ten haven't expanded to is not going to affect them in a negative way. They have taken coast to coast everybody they need to form a national champion without doubt, except for Clemson and Notre Dame. And let me be really real with you. If the college football playoff had any balls, and I'm going to say balls, if they had any balls, they would tell Notre Dame, you can't qualify for the college football playoff unless you join a conference, in which case they would join the Big Ten. And Clemson, who I think is going to go to the SEC, which I don't want to see happen because it'll kill the, the ACC, but if Clemson does that, then that's it. You're missing two products. That's all you're missing. You have all of the other products all of the other inventory. I'm telling you right now, if I was a TV station and I sat down with the SEC and Big Ten who said, we're going to form our own league, build us a TV rights deal, that number can be negotiated by the SEC and Big Ten. They don't have to take what Fox, take what ESPN, take what Apple TV gives them. They can go back and forth at that table for months because they have the product to sell and somebody's going to want What'd you say? Break off from the NCAA. Yeah, and that, and honestly, Brendan, I've said it for two years, at least two years. I don't see a world where the SEC becoming a mega conference and the Big Ten becoming a mega conference. By the way, I don't think the SEC is done. There's no way the SEC is going to let these conferences have more than them or equal to them. The SEC is quiet right now because because they're trying to find a way to get through that grant of rights in the ACC. Well, here's the thing, though. In my opinion. I don't I don't necessarily think the SEC needs to expand. They don't. Look at, look at, look at the programs in that conference. Alabama. One of the best teams in college football year in and year out. They were number one seed in the NCAA tournament this year in, in basketball. That's, you know, tier A or S tier program. Superior. Yeah. Georgia. Back-to-back national championships a very good baseball team, and a very good basketball team. Florida, two national championships in the last dec- in the last two decades. They've got an, a great history. They've been around. They're always sneaking up at the door. Basketball team's usually pretty good, has a national championship, and their baseball team just played for the national championship and has one in the last, in the last 10 years. Yeah. LSU. Yeah. Authored. Arguably the greatest season in the history of college football. Just won a national championship in baseball. Yep. Just won a national championship in, in women's basketball. They're a very good program. Yeah, LSU to be included need, need in our I, list, yeah. Yeah, like need I go on? Right. The SEC doesn't need any other schools to bring in. They are there. If the SEC wanted to make their own conference for everything – yeah. Like their own league for everything. 
I don't think people would argue with it. It's no. been the SEC winning the national championship in college football for like the last decade with the exception of Clemson. SEC has dominated college baseball. Florida, LSU, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. They dominate college baseball. Yeah. College basketball. <laughs> Kentucky. Alabama. Florida. South Carolina and women's basketball. Yeah. It they don't they don't need it. No, they don't. You know, and you make a good point that, you know, could they merge the Big Ten? Sure. Uh, that would be a that would be a, a product I would pay to see. But they don't need to. No, they they, they, they themselves to. can be their own entity and nobody would argue with it. No. I think I think if they want a true national champion, then what the Big Ten has done to grab the areas that they've grabbed. Because again, if you go back and you watch my video with the map, I circle where the Big Ten is, I circle where the SEC is, and they touch. And then you go and get the West Coast. When you put all that together, that's a true national champion. Because then there's not people in the North saying, well, or in the Midwest going, well, I'm not going to watch Florida. You know, what about Penn State? What about Wisconsin? What about this, that? So now that you have all those products and then the West Coast has those products, because then you're saying, OK, people on the West Coast, why are they going to watch the national championship if it's no West Coast teams? Well, now there's four that have an opportunity. So to me, to form a league separate from the NCAA that has the SEC and the Big Ten functioning as two separate conferences still, but playing against each other with their champion for the national championship because of the products they have and in the places that they are in the country, they have the ability right now to find a true national champion. The only argument I would make is Clemson. I'm not even going to make the argument for Notre Dame. Notre Dame is historically good. Notre Dame is historically sought after. But Notre Dame is not great at football today. They weren't great at football yesterday. They weren't great at football last year, two years ago, five years ago. Notre Dame has not been a great football team in the last decade. Notre Dame fans, don't get crazy on me because if you look at your statistics, you know that I'm right. I understand. I understand that you have the history. I understand that Rudy is a fantastic movie. I get it. I get it. Touchdown Jesus. I feel you. I understand that your people that have gone there have that bread. You got that money. I get it. I get it. Okay, but the Yankees don't win the World Series every year and the Fighting Irish don't win a college football championship every year and the Dallas Cowboys don't win a Super Bowl every year. But there's always going to be those fan bases and Notre Dame has risen to one of those fan bases, which I respect. But if we are talking about championship caliber teams almost every single season or teams that are built for that or teams that have then I'm going with then I'm saying Clemson over Notre Dame. But if you want to coup this thing, the Big Ten takes Notre Dame, the SEC takes Clemson, and it's good night, baby. And I've said that. Once Clemson goes to the SEC, it is good night. If the SEC gets Clemson, they don't need anybody to form their own league. But if they want a true national champion, because some people in the North will boycott the national champion of the South, which I totally understand because there's so many products up north that aren't going to be represented, so people aren't going to think it's a fair national champion. I get that argument. And the SEC can most surely make a ton of money, 
go off by themselves. And if they get Clemson, they don't need anybody for anything at all. I agree with you on that. But if you want a true national champion, you get Clemson in the SEC. The Big Ten's done already what it needs to do. I don't think they need to do anything else. But if you get Notre Dame and Clemson, the game is over. There are no other puzzle pieces to take. There are no other things to be concerned about. Clemson has the only argument if the SEC and the Big Ten break away of saying it's not a true national champion because of what Dabo Sweeney's built. Beyond that, there's no other conversation. Florida State doesn't have an argument. Miami doesn't have an argument. Nobody else has an argument in this. Now, do I think Florida State could go to the SEC? Absolutely. Do I think Miami has any allegiance to the ACC? (laughs) No. So to me, yes, there could be more movement, but there are only two more pieces to fall to cancel out the NCAA in or or the college football because the NCAA doesn't oversee college football. So the college football playoff committee, if the SEC and the Big Ten grab these two more schools, it's done. I think it's arguably done without it because who wouldn't watch a national championship? And then it's going to push the ACC even more. If the SEC and the Big Ten go, hey, we're going to go off and form our own whatever we want to call it league. We're going to function separately. And then our two champions are going to play for national championship. That's where Clemson turns to the ACC and goes, Hey, if you don't let us out of this grant of rights, we are going to be a menace to you for the next 13 years. We're going to drive you nuts. We're going to be the kid that you don't want to deal with in every parent teacher conference meeting. Like for me, I, This is how I look at it. Do I want to see anything happen in the ACC? Of course not. Of course not. I respect them. I love what they've built. I've spent a lot of time, a decade, covering the ACC closely. I'm also a person who doesn't believe that you should lock someone in a house they don't want to be in. And on a small scale or a large scale, if you're in a relationship and you're dating somebody and she doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to be there, there's no point in saying, no, you have to stay with me. You committed to this. No. I mean, I've been married before. Don't have a ring on my finger now. Why? Because she didn't want to be there. I didn't want her there. So I opened the door. If the ACC is dealing with that right now, if they're dealing with an unhealthy marriage, locking Clemson in saying, you put that ring on, so you need to die with that ring on, that's not fair to the overall health It's the same thing with Jalen Ramsey in the Jacksonville locker room. I told people three years in advance that he needed to go. And people thought, oh, what are you going to get, Dan? I said, I want two first-round draft picks. You're never going to get that, Dan. What would I get? Two first-round draft picks. So, And I got rid of the headache. And the team is better now. And the team culture is better now. And how can I speak to that? Because I'm in it. Because I see it. Because I spend time around it. And so... You know, this is this is a place where everything that I said at least two years ago about the SEC is happening. The Big Ten has made more of an argument for me to be open to them going with the SEC and it making sense for a true national champion. But what else do we need? What else do we need? It's no offense to any other conference, but if the SEC and the Big Ten form a national championship, what is going to stop you from believing that's the national champion outside of Clemson? There's one more product, there's one more chip to fall, and people are going to say two because of Notre Dame's pedigree and because of their competition and rivalry with the Big Ten teams. So 
But if we're talking about championships, the only gripe that anybody could have in an SEC Big Ten national championship is Clemson. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking if you're talking football, absolutely. I mean, is Florida State going to be good this year? Yeah, but, you know, I don't necessarily think – I think they can do without it. You know, if you look at it from an overall perspective, when you want to get college basketball involved too, yeah, you need Duke and UNC in order to make that work, along with some of the other schools in the ACC. Because remember, the ACC still dominates college basketball. Always has, always will. But yeah. if you are going to go simply, strictly college football – the only other two dominoes to follow Clemson and Notre Dame. Maybe Florida State. But Miami's got no standing. Florida State at least is a has usually been a competent program. They've won a national championship in the last decade. When did James Winston win? Was that ten years was that ten or eleven years ago? It was twenty twelve, I believe. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit longer though. It was the um, last it was the last even, BCS. Yeah. So even still. I mean, you could bring them in and be fine. It's maybe okay. So then maybe it's three, but I don't think anyone's gonna hoot and holler if there's no Florida State in there. Maybe Clemson, yes, but you know Notre Dame and Florida State, there's you know not much, not a whole lot of ground to, to speak on. And I, I do want to make sure I I did want to make sure I brought up Florida State because uh, uh, Sean would not be very happy. <laughs> Sean would not be very happy with me. Sean's my. Uh, our center manager at Golf Tech, and uh, he's a big Florida State fan. So, me and him have the FSU Florida rivalry, and we, you know, we talk about that a little bit. But Florida State's going to be good this year. Yeah. So no, I wanted to make be. sure I brought that up for him. Florida um, State's going to be good, and and who told you that? Papa Joe, myself, on this show, Wake Up Call, mm-hmm. over and over again. I said, "Y'all got a great coach." I said it when it ha- I was at his last press conference at the Liberty Bowl when Memphis won their only AAC championship on the football field that they have. And Mike Norvell's right there. I interviewed him, and that was his last one. He goes to Florida State the next day, and I said, you got a good coach. I spent four years with him at Memphis. He sent a ton of guys to the NFL. He wins consistent, consistently. He took a culture that was good. He continued that culture moving in the right direction. When he left, the team dipped. So that says a lot about him. And I said, Florida State got a great guy. Give him time. You're going to be fine. And now all of a sudden, people are talking about this uptick, awesome Florida State team. Oh, my gosh, how did it happen? Because four years ago, you hired the right guy. When they were like, who's this Mike Norvell guy and what's a Memphis? And it's like... Really, guys, just go and look at the history. Stop doing, you know, th- this is the thing, and I talked to you about this off the air yesterday. The thing that bothers me about life is that people will repeat information that has no logical or factual backing because it's a popular opinion to take. The American Athletic Conference is not a good conference. Why? Because people told me that it wasn't on the television. Oh, okay. Well, because I read about it on the on the paper. Okay, well. Where's the facts? Where are the facts that Memphis was not a good football team? Why is Mike Norvell so good at Florida State? Because he knew how to recruit in Memphis, too. Because he knew how to win. Because he was making good decisions there. This is not a mistake. He didn't leave Memphis and then become a good coach. He was a good coach. Why are UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston all of a sudden a great addition to the Big 12 when people said that they were chump teams and chump institutions and they meant nothing to anybody? They were nobodies in the American. They signed a Big 12 sheet of paper, and all of a sudden they're great commodities. 
No, they've always been great commodities. It's just the people that put those information, those tweets on Twitter about, which is now called X, the people that put out there on Twitter, Twitter. UCF is not this and UCF is not that. Some of those people went out there and went, oh my God, UCF, look at this big product we got. We're going to be awesome now. Screw you, Oklahoma. We got UCF. We got Houston. Stop. Stop your nonsense, okay? Because if you're going to take pictures of other people's tweets, take pictures of your own. The American Athletic Conference, which I wanted to get to here, this is a conference I covered before they had a logo and a name. I have been with Mike Oresco in this transition from the old Big East to the American Athletic Conference for at least a decade. I've spent a lot of time in what this conference is, its makeup. I have seen all the coaches that have come in, all the coaches that have gone out. I have seen the quote unquote power five steal coaches, steal student athletes and steal entire institutions. If this is not a good conference, why are you using their schools, their coaches and their players to make your conference better? That is called naivete. That is called ignorance. And stop following this belief that the American is not a good conference. The American right now, UTSA, good football team. Memphis will find its way again. East Carolina with Mike Houston has gotten better. There are pieces within this American Athletic Conference that are going to continue to FAU has Tom Herman now, who was at Houston before and built up something special there that I got to watch in the first ever American Athletic Championship game down in Houston against Temple with Greg Ward Jr. There, I mean, this UAB, they've been bowl eligible ever since they canceled their football program and brought it back. All six years they've been bowl eligible. So I'm looking at a conference that has a lot to offer. By the way, Two of their teams fought for the NIT championship game. FAU almost won the national championship after really never making it anywhere in the NCAA tournament for men's basketball. And Charlotte and Rice have been pushing up their football teams and their basketball teams. And those are teams that are just coming in. East Carolina's women's basketball team did some good things this year for the American Athletic. So there's things that are rumbling and things that are happening, which leads me into there's four teams left in the pack. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. Cal and Stanford, whenever I say them, I always think about, you know, the upper echelon, the button your shirt and put your tie a little tighter. That's what I see when I see (laughs) Cal and Stanford. How dare you walk into this room without a pen inside of your pocket? Are you out of your mind? Remember, they're the Ivy League schools that are not Ivy League schools. Right. And so here's the thing. Here's what I'm thinking. The American Athletic Conference, they're in the South, they're in the Midwest, they're in the Northeast, they're in the Southeast. They're all over the country, except for the West Coast. They're called the American. They embody the American dream. They have risen out of the ashes like America did from everything, Revolutionary War, Civil War. So if they take the West Coast, they will have representation all across America. They will fit their namesake even more so. What keeps the American Athletic Conference, it has a TV deal, 
that has a connection to ESPN. And with the SEC going and doing what they're doing and the Big Ten going what they're doing, there's a lot of openings in the ESPN right now. They're willing to play on Thursdays and Fridays. What prevents the American from being a viable, monetary, coast-to-coast, positive source for these four teams that have no, or four schools that have no idea where to go. Now, does it go into the irrational ridiculousness of travel and Olympic games? Yes, it does. But since geography has been thrown out the window, does the American make sense to take these four pack schools or do we go after something that I said a year ago, which I think would have saved the pack and not left it with four if the pack joins with the Mountain West, which right now would only add four teams. When I had prognosticated that they should do that to save their conference, there would have been they would have been the first conference to 20, and they would have beaten out the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 by getting to 20. So what do these last four teams do in the pack? Do they join the American? Do they join the Mountain West? Or do they do a little bit of both? That's the million dollar question right now. I think the only issue if they were to take on if they were to go to the American or join up with the, the Mountain West, the pack name will stay. That's the only issue that I see with that. And it's you know, nothing not to take anything away from the American because like you said, there's a lot of up and coming schools. It's a good conference. There's a lot of good teams. But the pack is the more recognizable name. It's the name that people know. It's the Power 5 program. I'm willing to bet that if the Pac-12, the rest of those schools went to the the American, the Pac name will travel. Now, I could be wrong. I I think, you know, considering there's only four schools out there and the Pac kind of stands for, you know, schools out on the Pacific Coast, but it's it's the namesake. It's the same reason why the Big Ten, the Big 12 is not going to change to the Big 18, the Big 16, or whatever. It's, I just don't, I just don't know if the, if the American would be able to hold its name. And it's a sad, and it's a horrible thing because they should, because they've gained a lot of recognition, you know, especially with Cincinnati making their run to the college football playoff. The Americans got some solid programs for baseball. They got some solid basketball programs. You know, it would just be sad to see the namesake go away after all those years by absorbing those four schools from out west. I don't think they necessarily need to absorb those four schools. So I think maybe going with, you know, with the Pac-12 schools going out to the Mountain West makes more sense. But I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. But like I said, I, I, I do think the name would end, end up traveling with them and Obviously, that's not something that American fans would like to hear. But the more you think about it, the more you know that the Pac-12 is a recognizable name. The American, while still a very good conference, isn't that Power 5 name. I don't see a world in which the Pac-12 teams go to the American and absorb the American name. And it's and it's it's honestly sad to, to think about, but unfortunately, I think that would just be the reality. Well, this is this. I'm going to play the advocate here, and I'm not a fan of the devil, so I'm not going to call it that. So, the American has the TV deal. 
not the pack. Yes. The American has, to me, the negotiation. They don't need those four schools. They don't need any of them. That's what that, exactly. So, so to right. me, so to me, if I'm Mike Oresco, who's already lost a name in court with the Big East, which he's not happy about. There's no way that the thing that I built with my bare hands on a whiteboard with my staff after losing the Big East name and after having something ripped from us when I'm the commissioner of that conference, I am not losing it twice because that's a shame on me. So I don't think I don't there is to me if Mike is in if Mike Oresco and the American are in contract negotiation talks and this is my opinion if they were in let me be clear folks i didn't say they were if they were in these talks there is no way that mike is going to take the pack name take the pack identity i think he would walk away from the table and go you know what then keep them because your conference right because your conference right now it has it has no identity by the way the Pac-12 name, it doesn't mean anything. The Pac-12 name has history, but that history is gone. Those four schools that are left, Stanford, Cal, I understand, you know, academic, this, Stanford maybe more than, obviously more than anybody, not Oregon State, not Washington State. The Pac name is marred. The Pac name is dying. If I'm Mike Oresco, again, I already lost the Big East name in court. I already had to go through that. I had to build an entire conference from nothing. Everything that they did to build up the American Athletic Conference, every moment that they took, every step that they took, there's no way that Mike gives up 10 years of that on the 10-year anniversary to take four teams that are falling into the Pacific Ocean. He, if he's giving them a lifeline and he's throwing a raft out to them, they don't get to pull him into the water and jump to shore. And that's how I look at this. If he's going to take them, it's going to be on his rules, in his conference, his way, or it's not going to happen. And they can go to the Mountain West. But guess what, folks? If you go to the Mountain West, four-pack schools, I thought you should have bonded when you had the capital to do it. If you go to the Mountain West right now with the teams you got, you're not better than the American. If you go to the Mountain West right now with the those four teams joining the Mountain West, I still pick the American. I still pick Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt. I still think I, I don't see the Mountain West as as jumping above anybody and moving up a tier with adding these four. The American is the best bet because it gives those four a lifeline. It gives those four a TV deal. It gives those four an opportunity to have a viable place with a conference that has a lot more respect from what they've done on the field than what they're actually getting in the media. So to me, the American Athletic Conference from covering this thing from the inside for a decade, there is more on the American side in the negotiation than with these four pack schools. If I'm Mike Oresco, absolutely calling them, all four of them. But I am not calling it the pack because what does that mean for me as commissioner? I'm not taking your commissioner. We're not moving our offices that just moved from Rhode Island to Irving, Texas out to the West Coast. We are not going to be identified as a West Coast conference because we have four West Coast teams and everybody else is all over the country. The American makes sense. 
as a name. The American makes sense in its history. The American has too many people that have fought too long and too hard to build up this conference to be the brand that it is today. There is no way in hell they're going to give up that brand for a brand that is almost dead. If the American sits silent and does nothing, there's a good chance that the pack is going to die and die very quickly. Oh, you're not wrong. And I and I wouldn't blame him either if they walk away from the negotiation, you know, if that becomes a thing. My thought was, you know, simply that, you know, it's the the name itself in recent decades is the more recognizable name. Yes, the American's brand is there right now. Yeah. But again, like you said, if that becomes a you know, a deciding factor, walk away. You don't need those four teams. Wipe but them hands clean. The other, the other, um, I think the other interesting thing you can think about would be, what if the pack loses Stanford and Cal? What if they go to the Ivy League? They can't make the. But that's the thing is they're not going to make. They would it. make the money, yeah, which, I, make which money. you know would make sense, which understandable. But you know those two schools, as much as they're known for sports, they're known just as much for their academics. They are in the same echelon. As Yale, as yeah. Princeton, as Harvard, as God, who else is in the who else is in there that I'm forgetting? In the Ivy League, Brown, Columbia, yeah. Brown. Those schools academically are right there. There's no reason why you know, like for sports purposes, sure, but you know, for purely academic purposes, and this is just a you know random hot take that I just thought of. Yeah. Look at look at those two going there. Because realistically, the Ivy League schools, their sports programs aren't exactly bad. They're so I had a I had a history of picking the the Ivy League champion to win their first uh, game in the NCAA tournament for years and years and years. Haven't really done it recently because I usually like to pick Harvard or Yale, but I think Columbia, you know, has been there in the last couple of years and. I haven't really felt like the matchup was good enough, but their sports teams aren't exactly slouches. They, you know, if they, if those guys focused on sports as opposed to being a doctor or being a lawyer or whatever, they could compete. So, you know, maybe Stanford and Cal coming to the Ivy League would bring them up a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it'll never happen, but it was just a, you know, a little thought that might have popped in. Not so much for the athletic side, but for you know yeah. more academic purposes. Well, and it's it's the same it's the same thing. Why you know why the ACC should call Cal and Stanford because you have Duke and you know and and you have that that pedigree. And then you talk about you know a lot of people don't talk about Wake Forest and what that brings to the table. And so I mean, there's there's some institutions that you know Syracuse and. And, you know, you look at that, you know, Syracuse is when you get a degree from Syracuse University and the weight that that can hold. So, you know, there's that argument of making sense of that. So I, I definitely get that argument. I want to be clear about something that's that's going back and forth here in the feed. I did not say that Notre Dame is not a great commodity. I did not say that Notre Dame. That's why I mentioned them with the Yankees and the Cowboys. Notre Dame is a great commodity for many reasons. All I said was if, if the big 10 and the sec break away and Notre Dame isn't a part of either one of those conferences, so they don't have a chance to play for the national champion, 
there's no argument that the true national champion wasn't found 99.9% of the time in recent history. Clemson can make that argument because Clemson is a national cal- national champion caliber team. Notre Dame is not. That's the argument I made. I didn't argue about the product. I didn't argue about the money. I didn't argue about the alumni. I didn't argue about the boosters. I didn't argue about everything Notre Dame can sell. Notre Dame is a top tier sellable product in collegiate athletics. They're a top tier product with professional athletics. When you go into a store anywhere in the country, you'll see Notre Dame, Cowboys, and Yankees. So that's the argument I agreed with, and that's the argument I already made. Don't get it lost in translation. What I'm saying is if Notre Dame doesn't join the Big Ten or the SEC and a national champion's chosen between the two of them, I don't think that Notre Dame being out of it is going to keep us from a true national champion because Notre Dame does not do it on the field right now, and they haven't done it on the field in a decade. They were embarrassed in the two college football playoffs that they were allowed into. They should have never been in them. They didn't do enough to get there. They didn't beat enough good teams. They did nothing to earn the spot that they got. Then they got the spot, and they were embarrassedly kicked out of both college football playoffs that they advanced to. So that is the argument that I am making. I am not making an argument about the commodity. I am not making an argument about the caliber. I am not making an argument about the history. Notre Dame, fantastic product. Any conference would be blessed to have them. Other argument, they're not a good football team right now. They haven't been a good football team. Facts back me up. So that's what I'm saying. If they don't play for a college national championship, it doesn't affect anybody. But that is not the argument of whether or not they're a hot commodity or they're a wanted. They're, of course they're wanted. Any conference in the country would want Notre Dame. I totally get that. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing that if they're not in the national championship, that does nothing to the national championship because Notre Dame has been an embarrassment of a national championship college football playoff. They should have never advanced to the college football playoff. They advanced because of their name. And this is where things get lost in translation. Great name, not a great football team right now. Were you, they in there in 2020? I'm trying to – I can't remember off the top of my head. They were in there – Or was it Oklahoma that got that four spot? Because that was because that was the year – that was the, the COVID year. Yeah. Or so 2021, I guess. But So that was that was the year that um, Florida ended up with two – ended up with three losses before um, – so they didn't make the playoff. Yeah. But was that was that the UC was that no, it was before the No, it was it was Oklahoma. Notre Dame well, Notre Dame made it in 20, 2021 against Alabama and then Ohio State against Clemson. Yeah, they made it in okay, 2021. So, yep. Yeah, so that's the one that I go back I go back to um, you know, as a Gator fan and think, man, if they would have just beaten LSU and that I'm not even going to say it. Um incident didn't happen. Um, and lost to Alabama the same way they did, lost by six, they would have gotten in over Notre Dame. There's no way you could put a one-loss Notre Dame team who was who got thrashed by Alabama in the you know playoff semifinal. There's no way you could have put them in over a two-loss Florida team whose only losses were to the number five team in the nation at Texas A&M and the number one team in the country by six points. They lost their two games by a combined nine points. There's no way Notre Dame would have been known over them. No. That's a prime example. 
Yeah. Notre Dame had no business being in that college football playoff. I would have put Texas A&M in over them. I had Texas. I had Texas A&M. So in that year, I had Texas A&M in, and I had – let me go back and look at this here. Yeah, I had Texas A&M and Cincinnati in that because Ohio State – didn't even play. They kept changing the rules for Ohio State. You had to play a certain number oh, of games, and then they didn't. And then you had to play a certain number of games to be in the Big Ten Championship. They didn't play those games. Then they bumped out Northwestern, put Ohio State in anyways. Then they brought them into the college football playoff, having played less games. Then they waited for their game to be played to make sure everybody was going to be healthy from COVID. I was like, seriously, if people thought there wasn't a Big Ten advantage, there's three things happening just with Ohio State that is showing you that they're doing everything in their power to give them the best chance to win. So uh, somebody else put in here uh, a pipe dream here, but I, I would love to see it. Uh, Kenneth said, if the ACC, or pardon me, the AAC grabbed Army and Air Force for football, they have the branding of having the military institutions. Where am I here? They have the, uh, the military institutions. Leaving them out of the playoffs is bad PR. You know, I agree. Having yeah. all three of these teams, I wanted it. I've talked to Mike Oresco about it before. I was like, you got Navy, who was over 100-year independent, that came to the conference. I'm like, you got Navy. Can you get Army? And, you know, I mean, Army West Point's right here in New York, not that far away from Syracuse, my hometown. And so, I mean, there's there's Army and then Air Force. And the cool thing about my family is that we have representation historically in all three. And in World War II, I had great uncles and my grandfathers serve in all three pieces, in the Air Force, in the Army, and in the Navy. So, And they all came home, God bless. So I would look at that as a huge, huge opportunity and something really cool. I mean, I want to see it happen. I've wanted to see it happen for a long time. I, I mean, I, I think that that would be great to see. And uh, Kenneth, I mean, I, I love the point that you brought up. It's the same type of point of Brendan's Cal and Stanford in the Ivy League. It's things that would be true to tradition, true to identity. And the Americans really tried to find that. They've tried to find that identity. And if you look at the American Athletic Conference, they're taking the same area that the SEC took plus Navy and Temple that are in the Northeast. But the Sun Belt and the, and the American have followed the same area of Southern Middle to Southeast that the SEC took. And if you're going to follow any model, the SEC is a good one to follow. I mean, you look at where the American is. Rice is in Houston. So you lose Houston, but you keep the city. UNC Charlotte, Charlotte. Those are two of the fastest growing cities in America right now. You pull in San Antonio, with UTSA, you know, you pull in the Denton area that's not too far from Arlington and Dallas for North Texas. That is a huge area that's growing and there's a lot of things coming in there, including the all-star game. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many very strategic moves and you have Navy. So you're always going to have that connection to the American athletic conference temple that doesn't get hardly any respect. I And I sat down with with their uh, head coach who came in last year and uh, Stan Drayton, and I'm excited to share that with you, that conversation. He has ties to my hometown of Syracuse. They're in Philadelphia. Okay, don't forget that, folks. It's Temple. They've struggled over the last few years. 
they're in Philadelphia. They've also had some really good coaches. Steve Adazio, Matt Rule, done some really good things there and had a lot of success. Jeff Collins had success there before going to Georgia Tech. So when you look at where the American is and where they're situated, again, they don't need the West Coast teams. The Mountain West doesn't need these West Coast teams. And I'm going to tell you something that I said over the weekend, and Brendan, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. It is definitely, definitely making everything all the more clear that San Diego State's, hey, uh, Mountain West, we're going to, what was that? We're going to leave. I'm sorry, did I hear you right? Uh, actually, can we stay? So like that that whole conversation, the the spin around the carousel, the revolving door where you're like, I don't need to take this anymore. You know what? I'm done with you. Relationship over. Walks through the revolving door. As they're going in, they look outside. They see a zombie apocalypse. So they come back in the house and they go, let's make it work, baby. I love you. San Diego State, when they did what they did, now it makes sense because the thought was that they were going to the Pac-12. So they must have known, in my opinion, that the Pac-12 was about to be ripped apart. So San Diego State went to go leave to the Big 12 and then went, they're losing who? Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Yeah, we're good here. That's what I think happened. If you really want to know the telltale heart, I think that San Diego State was the telltale heart that was beating underneath the floorboards. I think that they let everybody know that college realignment wasn't done because of the about face of what they did when they kind of left, but really didn't. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's that makes all the sense in the world. You know, it's, uh, Oh, we want to leave. Nope. Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay. Uh, that's, that's, that's actually kind of a good, a good little metaphor you had there. Um, you know, but kind of going back to what we were, what we were talking about with those four teams that are left in the pac 12, you know, but where? So let's just say Amer- the American doesn't take. Where do they go? I mean, you can maybe go to the Mountain West. Maybe. Yeah. Do they go to the Big Twelve? Do they go to the ACC? I don't think so. I I I think honestly. I, I've kind of convinced myself that the Ivy League thing might actually be a, a realistic possibility for Stanford and Cal. Yeah, I'm starting to talk myself into that. <laughs> but then, but then, obviously, that leaves you with Oregon State and Washington State. You know, go to the Mountain West. Go to you know Big Twelve. Only two teams, but those two teams are decent football programs. Have decent sports programs. Oregon State's won a national championship in baseball. Washington State's been right up there in, in, in football in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, they could easily fit into the Big 12. I think that's probably the most logical place for those two. But I think those four are, are going to end up having to break up, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And then you move Callen and Stanford together, and then you move Oregon State and Washington State together. I think it's probably the most logical move. Yeah, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think if the American's going to get any of these products, I think Cal and Stanford are the ones that they probably, in my opinion, would push for more because of 
the academic side of things and, and that pedigree. Oregon, and it's not to take away from Oregon State or Washington State. I'm talking about Cal and Stanford and historically, you know, what comes from that. So, you know, to me, I think you go for all four if you're the American, keeping your name and keeping your identity. And if you get a couple of them, great. If you don't get any of them, who cares? I mean, the American has nothing to lose. They have 14 schools for football, 15 overall with Wichita State. The ACC has the same. So you're two away from the Big 12, which now has 16. You're two away from the SEC, which now has 16. You have more than the MAC. You know, you're you you have to me, the American Athletic Conference right now has has moved up some pegs here. So outside of Clemson being the ACC, you know, the American Athletic if if I had to rank conferences right now on who I think is going to send a national champ, let's say, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, because they have, if I'm looking at number of teams that can go, because ACC has one at the moment, and then I would say the American. I mean, I think the Americans made it to the top five. I think they're an automatic qualifier in any rendition of the college football playoff as we step forward. So I'm not concerned about any of that. I don't think they have anything to lose. You make the phone call, you have the negotiations, you talk to your member institutions, you see if it makes sense, you see what they think about Olympic sports, you care about the mental health and the student athletes. The American's different. Mike Oresco's different. You know, I mean, this all about the money stuff, if he was all about this and all about that, yeah, they want to make money. Yeah, they want to make good decisions. But Mike Oresco, he wouldn't be in this thing if it was just about the money, because he had to go through hell a lot of times. His staff had to go through hell. There are people that within the American that could have just given up, folded up shop, said, have a great day, folks. It was nice while it lasted. But they didn't. I mean, this conference didn't even have to start. When the Big East broke away with the Catholic Seven and then took the name, there was Temple coming in. There was South Florida, Yukon, and Cincinnati. That was it. It look at the pack. Four. There was four in the American. That was it. The American knows what it's like to be almost dead. So they can go to the pack and talk about that. And going back to my argument, they know what it's like to be almost dead. And they know the value of that name. So if those four schools said, hey, we don't want to give up our name, we don't want to do this, then you know it's like, okay. We understand that. We know where you're coming from. I would like to be in the meeting room with Mike Oresco because I would like to be a part of these conversations because I think there's a viable opportunity here for the American Athletic Conference. And because they don't have a number in their name and they don't have a region in their name, it makes more sense than anybody else of anything that anyone's done up to this point. So the American Athletic has a big play for this. And I think that they're more enticing than the Mountain West. That's how I look at it. I think the Mountain West geographically makes sense. I think the American makes sense for a lot of other reasons besides geography. And we'll see what happens. But this whole argument of SMU put in their put put in put in their paperwork to join the pack. The North Texas put in their paperwork to join. They just joined the American. Like what 
moronical statements are out there right now that the pack that is literally almost completely pushed into the Pacific Ocean is going to steal and plunder from the American Athletic Conference. What leverage do you have? You have no TV deal. All of your main people have left you. There's no identity to the pack right now. You're nowhere near your namesake. You have to take your team's times three to get back to the Pac-12. They have nothing to sell. If they try to sell the history of their name, the history of their name left with the people. So the American or anyone losing institutions to the pack is moronical. It's not that it can't happen, and it's not that I haven't seen stranger things. But at what point will people just say that the American is a pretty darn good conference that we've now gotten to the point where you're publicly saying that multiple teams, including Tulane, SMU, and North Texas, want to run to the Pac-12 instead of playing the American? Ladies and gentlemen, there's drinking the Kool-Aid. And there's going to, and then there's going to one of those Haley's Comet parties and everybody drinking that juice with bags on their sneakers. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, I mean, you make you make a great point that you know the 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 AAC would be you know would definitely benefit from those four teams coming over. Yeah, but you know, back to what we were saying before, they don't need those four teams. No, would it help? Sure. I mean, I think bringing in those four teams would give them a lot more credibility than what they currently have. And it'll give them a lot more national respect because you're bringing in four quality programs. You know, Washington State, Oregon State, very, very solid football programs, good baseball programs in, in, at Oregon State. You know, and then you got Stanford and Cal, who have historically been known for being very solid sports programs all the way around. That's bringing in four Big name schools. If they're able to do that and keep the name, I would a hundred percent do that. But what you said, you know, the AAC is not as much about, not really about the money, the, the same way the other conferences are, and that's something I respect the hell out of them for. It's something that, you know, when they when they had to split off from the Big East and become the American. Yeah, like, I remember that happening vividly, and you're thinking like, man, what's going to happen to, like, what's going to happen to all these schools? You know, Syracuse and UConn and Louisville all went to the ACC. And, you know, you see like Villanova and Georgetown and uh, Seton and all these teams stay in the Big East. And then you have the American, which was at the time, like you said, four teams. It was a blob. You didn't really know what it was. Yeah. And now all these years later, they've developed the brand. So much so that other conferences want to poach teams. UCF is gone. Cincinnati is gone. Those teams were creeping up the rankings in college football. Since he finally broke the barrier and getting into the playoff, I mean, did they get destroyed by Alabama? Yeah, but who wasn't getting destroyed by Alabama? Let's be honest. Yeah. You could have you could have put let let's just put it this way. Take the best conference champion from any non-Power 5 school. Take every single one of them. Would Cincinnati beat them? Yeah, probably that year. They all would have gotten smoked by Alabama. Any other team you could have put in the playoff would have gotten smoked by Alabama. 
but it's Alabama. Yeah. You listen, as much as I think, you know, I didn't necessarily think Florida uh, UCF deser- had deserved to be there. Yeah, they beat out they beat LSU in a bowl game, which gave them some credibility, and I love that about them. But you can't tell me that the Cincinnati thing got destroyed by them losing to Alabama by, uh, big time. Did I think they deserved to be there? Yes. Do I think they're in the same class as Alabama? Absolutely not. But who but is? Because it's Alabama. Exactly. But, but who is? That's why the exactly. argument that was just in the that's feed. The was to me, it's like the argument in the feed. It's like they got to Cincinnati made it in, Dan, but they got destroyed by Alabama. Who doesn't get destroyed by Alabama? They lose yes. on average zero to one game per year. So if if you're going to make the argument that Cincinnati didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff because they got beat by Alabama, then you would have to tell me that Georgia, LSU, Florida, Clemson, Ohio State, that none of those teams are good, that they're all on the same level as Cincinnati. Alabama is not a good litmus test. They beat everybody. If Cincinnati was losing to San Jose State, then we can have a conversation. Exactly. And, and, you know, the year, and I think you were right, I think the year they did get in might have been 2020. uh, Was it 2020 or 2021 that they got in with with undefeated record? The year that Cincinnati got in? Yeah. 2020. 2020. I think – 2022. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you look back at that team, they were very, very good. But again, they lost to Alabama. The only team that beat Alabama was Georgia. That's how good the SEC is. It's not a test. It's not a, you know, the AAC is not good. It's that the SEC is just far and away the better conference. And I don't think anybody in the American would disagree with that. They understand that. They don't have the powerhouse schools like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, South Carolina. They don't have those dominant schools. But you can't tell me that Cincinnati that year wouldn't have beaten Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Or Texas, or I'm trying to think of who else was good in 2022. Whoever, you can't tell me that they wouldn't have beaten those teams. Yeah, they just got a terrible draw. Yeah, and that can happen. That can happen sometimes. You can't tell me it, it wouldn't, right? So, you know, if, if, when you when you go back and look at this thing from a you know like like when you put it all in all in perspective. The AAC or the the American Athletic Conference is really just getting started, if you think about it, because the, all this realignment that's happening, you're right. They are the fifth best conference right now. PAC is non-existent at this point. Yeah. They are the fifth best conference. Now, do I think they'll call it the Power Five still with the American? Probably not, because I, don't, I still don't think that people are going to respect the American, but you can't tell me that there's teams in that conference that aren't going to be able to compete. There's baseball. Like one sport in particular is baseball. Yeah. It is the baseball is probably one of the easier sports for a non power five team to win a national championship. Coastal Carolina prime example, won a national championship. I believe it was 2017 Yeah. when they won. Or maybe maybe it's twenty fifteen. They got a good football, or they they got a good football team too, though. They do, 
They do. They really I mean, do. They, they played Appalachian State in they, the Sun Belt. They, did they have an undefeated season, or, or was it one loss? Because it was recent. Yeah, they had. They went to the bowl game undefeated. I think they lost in the bowl game that they had. Yeah, I think they probably played like. So some, they didn't finish. They played they, somebody like maybe like Oklahoma or something like they, that. They didn't finish with an but, undefeated, but no, I mm-hmm. they I think they played Liberty in some like crazy game, but yeah, but no, Coastal think- Coastal Carolina is a good commodity, and Appalachian State has beaten a mm-hmm. bunch of quote unquote power schools. So yeah, in the Sun it Belt, it can happen. It can it can happen, right? So the th- the thing that I don't like about the current state of the college football playoff, and we can have an entire other show about this, but the current state of the college football playoff as it stands with the four teams is just a flawed system. Yeah. It is the only, only sport that does not have a true tournament. Right. Right. You can't tell me you can't find 12 or 14 teams worthy of being in there. FCS does it. Yeah. Yeah. And they do Take it well. Take page out of the FCS FCS's book. And nobody argues that there's not a true national champion in the FCS. So exactly, because look at college basketball. The top four teams, their four number one seeds. Very rarely do the one of those teams win. Yeah, it's usually a two seed or a four seed or a five seed or UConn. Who I think were they a five? UConn. There... UConn was a. Or were they a three? Oh, let me think about this. I think they were. But they, but, I think they were but, a four seed about, this year. Yeah, but they, they weren't were a high seed. Yeah, and they won a national championship. Coastal Carolina. I don't. If I remember correctly, I don't think they hosted a regional. In that in that year, they won the the, the college world series, and they won a national championship. You don't have to be the best team in the regular season. If sports teaches you anything, you just have to get hot at the right time. One loss should not knock you out of the chance for winning a national championship. No. One loss. And four teams don't do it because it's Alabama. It's Alabama, other SEC school, Big Ten school, and then then open spot. Yeah. That's what it is right now. That's why you have to expand to 12. That's why you have to go to 12. That's why they are going to 12 because they need to go to 12 because – there's no other way to do it. Now, granted, going to 12, if everybody stays together, the SEC could arguably get five out of the six at-large spots outside of the top six champions. But And that's fine. If it happens, then, you know, then yeah. that's, they're just the best teams. Right, but now, but now but, the American moves up to, with the, with the six conference champions being automatic qualifiers, the American moves up that they're going to be in the top five to every year send somebody to the college football playoff. And then that sixth automatic could be from the Mac. It could be from the mountain West. It could be from the Sun Belt. It could yeah. be from conference USA. So that gives more opportunities to those other conferences out there that weren't getting those same opportunities. And exactly. Jesus knows that Notre Dame's got a special rule to sneak in there. So, I mean, if you, if you're going to go that route, I think that sixth at that sixth automatic spot, should just go to the best conference champion from everyone else. The best, the best of the rest, I guess you could call it. And, you know, obviously there's a way you can rank that, but it's going to be unbiased because keep in mind, you're not talking about power five schools here. You're talking about the Sun Belt. You're talking about the Mac. You're talking about the mountain West. He's picked the best team from the rest as that last automatic qualifier. 
And then if you get five SEC teams as the as the rest, so be it. Yeah. They might just be the next the next best teams in college football. Yeah. It is what it is. But everyone has to have a chance. Right. Look at the NFL. Look at Major League Baseball. Well, I'll use I'll use baseball as a perfect example. Look at the Phillies last year. The Phillies were the last team into the playoffs. Yeah. They got hot. They swept the Cardinals. They beat the Braves. They beat yeah. the Red Hot San Diego Padres and then just ran into a juggernaut of the Astros. It would be like running into Alabama. It can happen. But that Phillies team marched all the way to the World Series as the last team in. It can happen if you get hot. It's not as likely in football as it is in, in a game like baseball because, yeah, it's only one game as opposed to playing series. But at the same time, if a team comes in red hot, you couldn't, you can't tell me that that 2021 Florida team or 2020 Florida team couldn't have been right there with every other school in the country. Yeah, they had yeah. three losses. But who were their three losses to? Texas A&M, number five overall seed. Who would have been in? Yeah. Alabama, the eventual national champion. Yeah. They lost by six in what was Alabama's toughest game of the year. Their national championship game wasn't even as tough as the SEC title game. No. And then LSU, who the only reason he lost that game is because some moron decided to throw a shoe. That's the only reason you lose that game. There's no reason to tell me that team couldn't have made a run. It's the same that thing with UCF ten- team. Same thing with Tennessee. Team, exactly. Penn State, the year they beat Ohio State, 2017 or 2018, I think. You can't tell me that one loss Penn State team or two lost Penn State team who I think their other loss might have been Pitt. Now, that wasn't a great loss. It was an upset. But they beat Ohio State that year Yeah, at home on a blocked field goal. You can't tell me that team couldn't have made a run because they absolutely could have. They got red hot after they lost to Pitt. Yeah. Red hot. You can't tell me that team couldn't have made a run. You can't tell me that who was um, – Cincinnati in 2020, 2021. Cincinnati in 2020, 2022. The other – the USCF second year when they had the one loss. Yeah. Or, you know, I think they might have been undefeated again, but they lost in a bowl game. Yeah, they went. Those they went twenty six, twenty five and 0, 26 and zero. Yeah, something like that. But you can't tell me those teams couldn't make a run in a twelve team playoff. Even a, give me a fourteen team playoff. That's what the NFL does. There's fourteen teams that make the that make the playoffs. Top two seeds get a bye. Fine. Yeah. You line it up like that. The number one, number two overall seeds, you get a bye. If it's the SEC, it's obviously the six best teams, but. If the SEC and the Big Ten get a bye, so be it. Alabama, Ohio State both get buys. Whatever. Doesn't matter. But now, with only four, you don't have that opportunity. You have the four seed getting thrashed by Alabama or Georgia because they're, they don't stand a chance in one game. Because they probably didn't deserve to be there. That four seed is up for debate every single year. Every single year. You can't tell me that there's not another 10 teams in college football 
that shouldn't have a chance to compete for a national championship. You want to put Notre Dame in there? Fine. Put Notre Dame in there. Yeah. Put LSU in there. Put Oklahoma in there. Put Penn State in there. Put Minnesota in there because they've been good in football in recent years. Yeah. Why can't you do that? Put another ACC. Virginia's been good in recent years. North Carolina's had a solid football program in the last couple of years. Why can't you put those teams in? Why can't you let 14, 12, 14 teams compete for a national championship? Well, this is the thing. In football, in the NFL, you have the winner of each division play in the playoffs. So if you look at it in that respect, the winner of each of the 10 conferences should be in the college football playoff or else why have a conference championship game? So, and you don't even have to have a conference. You don't even have a divisional championship game in the NFL. You don't, you don't have that. You don't have the, Oh, Philly and Dallas are the top two teams in the NFC East. They're playing for a championship on Saturday. You don't even have that. So what is the point of playing for a championship and then getting, you know, thrown out to the, you know, Idaho potato bowl. If you're coastal Carolina and wake forest, I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever what's going on because it it's just, it doesn't follow the correct model. If you win a championship, you should move on. It's what happens in high school sports. If you win sectionals, you go to States. They, essentially what college football is saying is if you win sectionals, you get to play a bowl game that has nothing to do with a championship. So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Could you, could you imagine that winning sectionals for a high school and then go playing some ancillary playoff that has nothing to do with the state title, but it's at the same time as the state title and it's with other teams around the country, but it's not going to be for a state championship. College football makes sense. Make, in the famous words of Isaac Alford, who's a big, you know, partner of the show as well, make it make sense. So it doesn't make sense right now. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things to get into, and another Monday to do it. We will. Murph, we extended our time. Those of you waiting for Joe Cop, he's coming up right after this fast break. As always, Murph, I appreciate it. I love this conversation. And it truly gave me like exactly what I needed for realignment. So folks, stay with us. Joe Cop for someone who was killed in the line of duty, who also happened to play football at Alfred University, who wore number 32, Nick Clark. That number is given to someone special every single season. It'll be worn by Joe Cop, and we're going to talk about that story, that importance, all coming up after this in our Saxon Spotlight. Murph, as always, I appreciate it. Likewise, appreciate you having me as always, and Definitely a great conversation today. A lot of debate, which I think is the best part about it. It is. We'll talk soon. That here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports truly meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here, hanging out with us. We're going to take a quick step aside. Thank you. Thank you for those of you that have stayed very patient as we got ready for our special with Joe Cop. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate that uh, very much so that you've been hanging out here with us. My special with Joe Cop and our Saxon Spotlight is going to air momentarily as I just want to get to a couple things here. Uh, they are very stable. Ohio would be a decent add to, not likely don't. No, the MAC, I've argued, is the closest knit conference that I have seen in many years. They're, they seem to be the most concrete together, and I 
I, I definitely give a big time kudos and a shout out to the Mac office and Dr. John Steinbrecher, who was just on the show in the commissioner corner series that we do around the country. Jay said the only team to beat UCF was that crazy good LSU team that ran the table the following year and won the national championship with Burrow, Chase and Jefferson. They beat UCF who had a backup freshman quarterback by eight points. Yep. And that's an argument that Jay and I have made many a times that the only loss that UCF had in two years with an entire change of an entire coaching staff. Undefeated one year, one coaching staff. Undefeated the next year, different coaching staff. Show me any team in the history of any sport that's done that. I would imagine that you're probably going to find no one, or maybe you'll find one team who has changed their entire coaching staff and been undefeated for two years straight. Good luck with that. UCF did it and didn't get any respect for it nationally, but they definitely got it here on Wake Up Call. And with my man, Jay Bird, we're going to take a step aside for a fast break. Coming up next, Joe Kopp, Alfred University Saxons in the Saxon spotlight, honoring Nick Clark, speaking on Joe Kopp and showing how we can honor history while also making history with a student athlete that I'm very excited to share with you right after this. Remind us that every day is worth celebrating. Find them at 201 Old 7th North Street in Liverpool, New York. Open Monday through Saturday in-store and all the time online at maandpazpopcorn.com. Serving our Central New York community and beyond, you can order all throughout the country at maandpazpopcorn.com. And remember to get your tins, which have in-store half-price refills forever. Ma and Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, available to you for fundraising and all of your events by calling 315-450-6272. That's 315-450-6272. Ma and Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. How corny are you? This is a special message from Merritt Brady, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Watertown on 1290 Arsenal Street in Watertown, New York. Chick-fil-A for me has always been about the people. I think it starts with the strength and leadership of the Kathy family. It's just amazing to see a family-run business reach the altitude that they have. Second mile service is something that we embodied at my previous business and the ability to make people feel like they're the only person at your establishment, that you are there to serve them that day and and looking for those extra ways to make them happy, to anticipate what they need next is what makes me tick. And I'm going to have so many opportunities at Chick-fil-A to do that. It's one of my favorite things to eat in the world. My favorite application question or interview question when I'm interviewing is when I get to have you ever eaten at Chick-fil-A? And a smile hits both their ears. You know, they can't even answer the question for a second. And, and 
when I see that, it's like, man, that's going to be a great hire. They already get it. They already feel it. They already know that we're different. The Chick-fil-A experience, it's a real thing. And then, of course, just our, our generosity and community involvement and making a positive impact in the lives of our team members, our guests, and the community in general, I think is, is really the, the secret sauce. In these unique times, there are those in our community that give us a sense of normalcy and positivity. Pizza Man on 50 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville has been here for you for over 35 years and is here now. Call 315-638-1234 or order online at pizzamanbville.com to bring those familiar tastes into your home. And remember to come see our monthly on-site broadcasts centered around the community and our Baldwinsville Beats. Pizza Man in Baldwinsville. Any way you slice it, they are always here for you. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. We also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or HondaCityDSCNY.com. at Chick-fil-A is to glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that's entrusted to us and to positively influence all those who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And what became increasingly clear from our success at Cicero is that people love Chick-fil-A. And also, I think we recognize that, you know, we had a great opportunity to grow the brand and grow our platform. I felt incredibly grateful when I was you know, selected to be a Chick-fil-A operator. I think what it's meant for me, what I've come to realize on a very deep level is that this is a calling for me. It's not a career. It's not a job. The Lord called me to be a Chick-fil-A operator and to use these restaurants to glorify him and to positively influence other people. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. Head to Chick-fil-A Clay on 3974 State Route 31 in Liverpool, New York. Here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Happy to be here with you where sports meets life every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You know every Monday we have Saxon time throughout every single month of the year. Monday is at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And every second and fourth Monday we feature the Saxon Spotlight where I have the opportunity to speak with student-athletes, coaches, administration, and alumni Throughout the year, I have the pleasure of being picture in picture right now with Joe Cop here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Joining me as one of the captains of the team at the linebacker position with a really amazing opportunity to wear number 32 this season. We were talking about it off the air. So let's bring him in for this Saxon spotlight. Joe, how are you? Good, Dan. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well and, and happy to have you here. And so 
first and foremost, to be a captain on this team, just what that means to you to be wearing the C on your chest and to have that leadership role for the Alfred University football program. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot to me. Um, I've always seen myself as um, the leadership type. I've always wanted to be a great leader. And I've had the ability, this is my second year as a captain, so I kind of already have a year under my belt, and I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned what to do, what not to do, what works for our team. So I think I'm, I'm on good track to continue to make strides to you know, make our team better. You know, and, and like you said, making strides to make the team better as, you, as you're going to your senior season. There's already been a bunch of honors that we've been able to see here for you. Uh, academically, a Saxon Scholar Athlete, Spring of 23, as well as a Dean's List, Spring of 23, Empire 8 President's List of Spring of 23. Uh, team honors, you got the 2021 Alex uh, Univich, a Defensive Most Valuable Player in 2022 Team MVP as well. Uh, Saxon Honors, a SAC member 2022-23, SAC Award on uh, May 1st of 2023. You've been honored in the Empire 8 as Co-Defensive Player of the Week on November 8th of 2021. And you were a member of the All-Empire 8 First Team on November 17th of 2022 and the Third Team on November 11, November pardon me, 18th of 2021. Uh, nationally, D3Football.com Team of the Week in September 27th of 2022 and November 1st of 2022, and D3Football.com All Region Second Team honors for you on December 9th of 2022. So, just to name a couple things there, you've got a lot of honors that we've had here at Alfred University. When I'm reading off that list and we're discussing uh, different things like the SAC member awards, as well as scholar athlete, and then getting into defense, defensive MVP, team overall MVP, and then your national honors for D3Football.com, as well as the Empire 8 Conference. A lot of things to you know, be thankful for and grateful for, just what you can say when you hear that list of accolades and, and honors for you. Yeah, um, it's, definitely, it's definitely a grind, um, balancing classes, um, clubs like SAC and then obviously football it's a huge time commitment and it all it wasn't always the easiest thing for me when I came into school as a freshman and early early days as a sophomore but I kind of found that balance and then once I did you know I just haven't looked back I've, I've found my stride in the classroom and I think being so finding that stride in the classroom it's then helping me on the football field because I'm more at ease with with my schoolwork, and I know I'm doing a good job there. So then the football stuff comes easy. Yeah, you know, like you said, I mean, if you take care of the classroom, football stuff comes easy. How do they go hand in hand and just speak to the importance of being a student first and then an athlete? Because, you know, collegiately around the country, when we have this conversation nowadays, it's athlete, athlete, or just athlete. We don't hear a lot about the student side of it. How important is that to you, and why does one help the other, in your opinion? Yeah, it's very important. Um, when I was brought into Alfred, there was a strong emphasis on, you know, you are a student first and you need to be prepared for after the football, for after the fact, what you want to do in your life. So I think the coaches being up front with us right, right, right from the get-go and letting us know that before you can be on the football team, it's all about your studies. Yeah. I think that helped a lot. And yeah, what was the second part of the question? 
just just what it means to be a, a student athlete and how you think you, you were mentioning how if you take care of the classroom, then the field gets easier. Just why you see it that way. Um, because I definitely see, you know, some things on the football field that can translate to the classroom. Like, like everything's not going to come easy. You're always, you're not going to get, you're not like, for example, I took a finance class and, you know, I'm not great with formulas. It's kind of the same thing for plays on the football field. You know, you're not going to be perfect at a play or a defensive call the first time you run it, but you practice, you practice and you study and then you get better at it. So I would kind of say that's how it goes hand in hand. You, you spoke about the coaching staff. You come on to a team at Alfred University within these past few years, you know, after playing at, at East Syracuse, Manoa for high school and, and growing up in the Manoa area. And we'll talk about that in a second. But when you come to a team where your head coach, Bob Rankle, has been around for such a long time, he's going into his 25th year right now, to come on to a squad when you were looking at where to go to school collegiately, how much did it mean to you that in a world where coaches at any division seem to sometimes change rapidly, especially we see it at the Division One level, but to come to a school at Alfred University where Coach Rankle has been so connected to the program, synonymous with the program, how much of an effect did that have on you when you came to look at Alfred? Uh, I'd say a lot. You know, he's a he's a proven guy. He's been here a while. You know, there was a rich tradition of winning uh, for the Upper University football program. And I know he had a lot to do with that because he was an assistant coach before he was even the head coach when we were getting accolades like that. So it definitely played a role. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't everything in my decision, but definitely knowing that the coach – he has he has good control of the program and he's been there a while. It's definitely they put me at ease to know I was going into a good program. And your linebackers coach Casey Williams, what can you say about him? Um, Casey Williams, he's he's a great guy, um, real funny guy. He the thing about him is the hours that he puts in. He's always trying to gain knowledge since I've known him. I think he came in with my class actually, um, or the year before, but. He's always trying to gain knowledge. He's always watching film. He's always sending us tidbits, and he's always getting us better. So I think just the drive he has, it almost feels like he's another player. Like he's he's in my corner all day long. He's in all of our corners. And just to know that he has our back and he's he's always pulling for us, it's it's great. Yeah, you know, and, and you have the opportunity as well, the assistant head coach also being the defensive coordinator and overseeing, you know, the, the entire defense. When we talk about Coach Brady, just what you could say about what he's meant to the program, what he's meant to you, and, and to the overall defensive scheme. Yeah, Coach Bonacquisti, um, Coach Bonacquisti, he's just got a great mind. He's got a great mind for the game. Um, his schemes are great, and the biggest thing for him is that he trusts his players. He trusts his players, and he puts them in spots to, to make plays. So that's kind of our thing on defense. You know, we, we think players, not plays. So he's always thinking, you know, about us and how he can put us in the best positions. And yeah, he does a lot. He does a lot for us. He doesn't do much with the linebackers anymore because he now he oversees the whole defense and is kind of bouncing around. Yeah. But he's still always in meetings with us, giving us, you know, the best information he can. And yeah, just a great mind for the game. So as I'm here in this Saxon spotlight in our exclusive multimedia marketing partnership with the Alfred University Saxons and speaking here with Joe Kopp of the football team. 
as we get set for this 2023 campaign. You were number four, 34. You're now going to be wearing number 32. There's a history to that. And I know you and I were talking about it off the air, but I'd love for you to share with the world what the history is of number 32, why it's so important and an honor to wear that number coming up this season or any season. Yeah, so number 32, um, it was worn by Nick Clark, um, a member of our football team back in, I think, 2011. I don't know if that year is correct, but he became a state trooper and was killed in the line of duty. And he was a great football player, but also a great guy. And so to honor him and that number, uh, every year the coaches have picked a, a Saxon to embody him and embody his number. So I was chosen this year, and it means a lot because I want to honor what he did for this program. And a great quote by him that is in our locker room, I'm pretty sure, is, you don't have to, you get to. Yeah. So I like to think of that, honestly, every single day we get to go out to practice. You know, we don't have to be here, and he would love to still be here, but he's obviously not with us anymore. So to wear that number and, and to, to be a leader in this program and to have that number on my back, it, it means a lot. How much of Nick's history do you know? I mean, is it something that the coaches want to make sure that they drive home with every, you know, new group that comes in? Is it something that's talked about a lot with the team? I mean, how much of, of Nick's history is known to the team? Yeah, so when I was brought in, um, in meetings usually, or it'll come up in different places, but the coaches, specifically Coach Rankle, um, educates everybody on the meaning of number 32 and who Nick was as a person. And we actually have the ability to speak with his mother sometimes. She is the she oversees the football team as a staff, as a professor. Um, she kind of works with the football team for class-wise stuff. So she comes to talk to us sometimes during practice too. So as soon as you're brought in, you kind of, if, if the coaches don't tell you, some of the players will. But you, you know what 32 means and who Nick Clark was as soon as you get there. Yeah, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, it's such an honor to wear this and to remember Nick Clark and, and that number 32 and to celebrate that. I mean, from 2008 to 2011, he was there at Alfred University and obviously a part of the history and a graduate in 2011. When, when we see that kind of giving back to the history when you were given that honor what was that first feeling that first thought that ran across you when the coaching staff said joe you're gonna wear next number you're gonna wear 32 this season because because i've seen and heard about so many great players that not only nick wore the number but the people after him um i was kind of I'm not shocked, but I was just kind of like, I was just kind of stunned because, because it means so much to the program and because Alfred means so much to me, I was just kind of, kind of shocked and in the moment, but yeah, just, it, it means so much and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to wear it and, and kind of prove what, what I have to prove and yeah, sorry. So, well, I mean, getting, getting to do that, getting to wear this number, do you, do you feel that? when you're out there practicing do you feel that kind of all the time does it ever leave you when you're in you know this season wearing number 32 is is it something that you kind of put the jersey on and forget about it do you think about it just bring me into how 
connected you feel to the number 32 and to Nick's history and, and if it's something that sticks with you every day? I would say in terms of in terms of putting on the jersey and getting into practice and stuff like that, I I don't think about it too much. It's more kind of reflecting when I'm when I'm not in practice because during practice there's so much going through my head in terms of remembering plays and 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 doing stuff like that. But I think it's more just the time I have outside of football to kind of just reflect on on who he was and what he did for the program and kind of to think what can I do for the program moving forward because I only have you know one maybe two more years left. So I'm just trying trying to leave the the biggest imprint I can. You know. Joe, how do you honor Nick Clark wearing his number and at the same time make it your own? How do you honor a person but still be yourself and still have your own stamp on Alfred University football? That's a great question. Um, I would say just continue to honor him, but like you said, also, like I am my own leader and, and I do, I am my own person, so... I think just continuing to lead the way I have been and and making an impact on my fellow teammates, not only, you know, on the football field, but helping them through life because now I've had some years to kind of kind of gauge what college is like, what to do, what not to do. So I think just helping my teammates out and just continuing to be the best version of myself, I think it'll all, all come with that. And how would you describe yourself, Joe, to someone who's never met you, never spent five minutes with you? What would be a mission statement of Joe Cop or three words to describe you? If if you had to kind of elevate or pitch who you are, what would you say? I think on the outside, people looking in, I might be a little intimidating. But I think once you actually get to know me, I'm the complete opposite, like my teammates know. I'd, I'd say I'm probably a little goofy. Like, I love to joke around and stuff like that, but... I've also told my coaches, like my position coaches, this multiple times, like when it's time to work, I'm strictly business. So I think my elevator pitch is like I have a great balance of, of a great balance of play, but then also joking around. So I think that's and that really helps, like in the linebacker room and on the defense when you can have the time to joke around with your teammates, but then also when it's time to lock in and get work done, we can also do that. Why is this year's team going to take a step forward, in your opinion, on the football field? Honestly, since spring ball, since I've been here, the energy's just been a little different. There, there's something in the air. We we are all on the same page. We all have one common goal, and and we're we're ready to go out there. We're ready. We're ready to win some games. We have we have a good freshman class coming in. So when they get in, they're going to be hit with our values right away: character, discipline, work ethic, and we're going to get moving right from the jump. Something just feels different this year. So in that in that mode of something feeling different and being on the same page and, and knowing that you could step forward and find that success, how do you step forward as a leader? What are you doing leadership-wise? What have you done leadership-wise from spring ball to now? And as we're you know getting closer and closer to the season with fall ball, what have you done to advance yourself and challenge yourself as a leader so that you can keep this team focused when you need to? I think it's about just always progressing. Um, we like to hold, as a leader, you love to hold other people accountable, but you can't do any of that until you're working as hard as possible. So for me, it's always a little voice in the back of my head just telling me, yeah, you're getting on the defense to work hard, but what are you actually doing? 
So that kind of drives me every day to, yeah, work hard, but work even harder than that because there's programs around the country that they're also working hard. So just trying to get that extra step, get that extra step on some people, some programs, just just on everybody to, to be a step ahead when we, when we go into camp and honestly for the season in general. Do you have a favorite moment of your time at Alfred so far? Favorite moment? Um, I would say we had a goal line win. I want to say we were playing, I think it was Hartwick. It was like a fourth and one. They're on our one-yard line, and we needed a stop. And it went all the way from first first and goal to fourth and goal, and we got that fourth down stop. And it was the first time in my career where, like, the whole crowd went crazy and everybody's running off the sideline. So I'd probably say that. I like that. That's a good one to pick for sure. Here with Joe Cobb of the Alfred University Saxons football team, wearing number 32 this season in honor of Nick Clark and, of course, paving his own way as well with this number and his history with Joe here with us in the Saxon spotlight. Uh, before I let you go here, Joe, you played at East Syracuse, Manoa, went to school there, grew up in Manoa, New York, not too far away from where I grew up. So bring me into ESM. I've I've dealt with some of their uh, programs over there before. I've, I've had them sit with me like you're sitting with me. So I'd love to get your thoughts on ESM and, and that community, what it meant to you and and just what you could say about reflecting on those days. Yeah, um, ESM, just a great group of people. Um, ESM High School, definitely some great teachers over there who, who helped me through high school. And then in terms of sports, I mean, it's it's a great place to be. I played football, basketball, and ran track. So I, I had a lot, of, a lot of different experiences with different coaches and different people. And, and I just say, yeah, just great people and – definitely a great academic like it was great academics with great sports and it's kind of it's kind of how I feel at Alfred now that I'm there you know I'm getting I'm getting playing football but I'm also getting a great education so I'd say yeah so what was it about Alfred University that brought you in I mean from the community that you're in not too far away from where I grew up and so as you're in ESM area you're in Manoa it's a couple hour drive right I mean you got to get in the car and take a little trek to Alfred University. So why go from central New York to western New York? What was it about Alfred? Yeah, so there were there were quite a few few reasons I went to Alfred. Um, I'm not one that really cares for like the, the, the setting. So the small town vibe didn't really throw me off. And the main reason I went there I was obviously looking for the great balance of, of football and education. They had a great business program and they honestly, they were one of the few programs to take a chance on me. I, I wasn't a very heavily recruited player out of high school. So when I went up there and I kind of just, I felt at home, I, I knew I had to, I knew I had to end up committing there. What was it that made you feel at home at Alfred? Just the feel, the people. You, you Same thing I said about ESM. You you know, you know everybody at Alfred. You you see somebody on the street, you've either talked to them before, or they look super familiar, or you'll get to know them pretty soon. It's like you know everybody there, and it's it's a small town, and and some people hate that, but I, I felt that it was really for me. You know, and like you said, you know, people know your name. It, it's a small town. To to have that unique connection, where I mean, you're really just set right into it, right? You come up the hill and. 
you know, there's that little fork you bear to the left and, and there you are, you go right into Alfred University to have that connection with the community and to be really embedded in the community. What's that been like for you to experience being a college student and at the same time to kind of grow as a person to be in a small town? What's that been like? Yeah, it's awesome seeing seeing the people you see on the street, up in the stands at the football game, not even really knowing somebody, and then they say, "Hey, Joe, great game," or "Or hey, Joe, great play on that play." I was. It's it's really surprising because then I'm I'm continuing to make more relationships of people I really didn't think I'd know or people I didn't think I'd be friends with, but because it's such a small town, everybody can kind of see everybody's progress and realize everybody's there. So it's it's really nice to be able to meet a ton of people, but at the same time, it's really not that many people. What do you do in a small town when you want to kind of relax? What are you doing? That's the thing. There's not not too much to do up there, but I would say you find a core group of guys and you kind of just stick with them, whether that's you know video games in the dorm room or going to explore some of Alfred's weird places or stuff like that, but not not too much to do, but once you find a good group of guys, I mean, you guys can find stuff to do. Well, you know, what I like is, I think, you know, from coming up there and seeing it, your campus continues to go up this hill. It continues to just, like, go on forever. And then you think you go around this corner and it's done, but it keeps going down another. And you're, and then you're like, where am I? Like, how did I get here? And it's it's beautiful. There's so many buildings. There's more than meets the eye when you first pull in. And at the same time, you have that, like, you know, park the car and just kind of walk down, go to a pizza shop, stuff like that. You know, I think I think there's a lot of beauty and majesty to what you get to look at all the time. And when you park and you can take that walk on that little trail and staircase through the forest down to the stadium and you make that right and you look out and it just kind of opens up and the stadium is just sitting. I mean, like that field is just looking at you. When you get to be in in that type of position, I can honestly say as a sports fan who's been to a lot of different places and a lot of different parts of the country, one of the coolest things to do is to walk down that staircase into your stadium and just turn that corner and not know like what's around the corner and then see it. And it's just beautiful. And it's sitting there waiting for you to run down to it. There's got to be something magical about that. I know you said it's a small town, so there's not, you know, something to do that there would be in like a New York City. But at the same time, there's a lot of cool things about Alfred University. And I think that some of those walks through the forest are pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I, I think what I mean, what can you say about that? Like when you when you could take that walk and then see the field, there's the walk down to the field for fans and for people kind of coming out of their dorm rooms and whatnot. That's atypical when you come out of a residence hall to have a walk like that to a field. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool experience. What can you say about that? Yeah, I mean, Alfred's slogan is, you know, outside of the ordinary. So I feel like I definitely see that every day with, like you said, the, the trails you can walk on. And yeah, walking down to the field, it's it's a different experience. I've, I've kind of become, it's, it's like a norm to me now. Like it's not as, as cool as the first time I did it. But it's still, you know, you play at some, you play at some different spots, and then you come back to our place, our stadium. We call it the pit. You come back to the pit, and you kind of just realize, like, we, our, our stadium is, it's definitely, it's a nice one, and it's one of the best around with the view for sure. 
Yeah, it definitely is. And you got some great games coming up this season, which, uh, you know, obviously very excited about the kickoff opportunity that you're going to have to start off the season officially on September 1st, which is a Friday night under the lights at 7 o'clock. That game is going to be at home against Hobart College. As you get closer and closer to that in preparation for this season, like you said, sometimes you have to go somewhere else, come back to your stadium to appreciate it. What makes you appreciate the start of a season? When you're going through the practices, you're running, you're lifting, you're learning the playbook, there's moments of adversity, it's hot outside, you're sweating, the pads are heavy. What about all of that adversity kind of goes away when you appreciate blank? What is that thing that you appreciate when you look to a new season that makes you fight through anything that could go in, on in a practice or weight room or whatever that may be, or in a classroom. Right. I think, I think just knowing the camp and how grueling camp is, I think just knowing that that's the easy part, it might not seem like that with how tough camp has been in the past. It's, it's definitely tough, but that's the tough part. The easy part is showing up on Friday, Friday night or Saturday midday and playing the game. That's the easy part for me. It's, the tough part is those three grueling weeks where we have to work as a team and get better and learn all that stuff. The game stuff comes easy. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, so, I mean, in this thing, they say if practice, if practice is difficult and it feels more difficult than a game, then you're doing something right, right? If, if practice makes brings out the most in you so that when you go to a game, you can actually say, hey, you know what? I've seen, I've seen what it's like to, you know, push myself to the brink and now I'm ready for it you know, going out there and, and playing this weekend. Before we finish up here, we're going to play rapid fire here in a second. But I want to honor you, uh, Joe, for looking at some of these numbers here against Kalamazoo. Your last season, you set a bunch of single-game records for yourself, three sacks, 17 yards lost for the other team. On those three sacks against Kalamazoo, you had four tackles for a loss of 23 yards. And then we look at uh, your total tackles. Your record was set right after my birthday last year on October 29th, 2022. Uh, total tackles against Cortland, 22 in a game. Uh, assisted tackles at St. John Fisher on October 16th of 2021. Solo tackles for you in a game record. Uh, Brockport, which is at home on November 12th, 2022, last season. So when you look at some of these numbers, You've had three different games where you've had one interception. What are you looking to break this year? I mean, three sacks in a game, that's, you know, that's pretty darn notable. 20-plus tackles in a game, the one interception. Where, where are you kind of keying in on? I know that you want to play in the run of the game and you want to win the game, and I understand that totally. But if we could look at some of those records that you want to break or some of those moments, do you have anything in the back of your mind? Um. Yeah, so it obviously depends on, you know, like a week-to-week or year-to-year basis where I'm lining up. I, I did a lot of lining up on the ball last year, so I was in some more positions to get sacks. Um, this year, um, I'll still probably be up on the ball a little bit, but i definitely like to get my hands on a few balls and, and potentially take a few to the house. So that's probably one of my goals stat-wise this year is to, to get a few more interceptions. It's funny. You and I must have been – meeting each other on the same wavelength. Because when I looked at all those numbers going into our conversation, I'm like, I feel like he's going to tell me he wants more than one pick yep. in a game. So, yep. And to take one to the house. All right, I like it. 
So with that being said, in this Saxon spotlight, Joe Cobb of the football team going to wear number 32 in honor of Nick Clark this season. Linebacker on the squad here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora in our exclusive multimedia marketing partnership with Alfred University. We're going to play rapid fire. Your coach made history as the first person ever at Alfred University to play rapid fire on Wake Up Call. So you are going to be the second. And so both of them with the football team, you will be the first ever student athlete at Alfred University to play rapid fire with me and the first ever football player. What does that mean to you, first and foremost? That's awesome. I'm honored. <laughs> so you got you got more history that you made, and you didn't have to do anything on the field. So we're going to awesome. ask each other three questions apiece. You get the first one. Anything in the world. Could be football. Could be anything. What is the craziest response you've had to a question that you've asked in an interview? Because I just saw on Instagram you were posting the stuff of, like, Syracuse football. Yeah. Is that a crazy response? Yeah, I, I would say – craziest response i would probably say the craziest response i ever got where i didn't understand how he didn't understand the question was one was when i interviewed peyton manning and so uh interviewing peyton manning he was on the colts at the time he had come to play the jaguars i've covered jacksonville for this god willing my 13th year on site on location so i go down to their games and i was in the guest locker room they brought us off to a little area I'm standing next to Peyton, and I think that this—I think that this interview was actually shown on NFL Network. And so he's here, I'm right here, and I said, having played the Jacksonville Jaguars for as many seasons as you have, looking at this current secondary, how would you assess them? And he was like, I don't understand. And I was like, Well, looking at this team compared to other teams in Jacksonville history that you've gone up against. What's this secondary like that you've got? And I thought, I mean, I thought that that was like a normal question. And he's like, I don't know how, you, you know, I, I don't understand how I can answer that. I don't play on Jacksonville's team and I don't know their inner workings. And I'm like, how did this question not get answered properly? Did I do something wrong? And then I'm like, I'm asking myself, I'm going, if I'm a quarterback and I played this secondary for like the last five years, and how does this secondary look compared to other secondaries? I feel like that's a pretty easy question to answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, but hopefully I get another shot with you, Peyton. I don't know. It was just, mate, we, we got lost in translation. So my first question for you, Joe. Hmm. All right. Well, you're in a small town. So when you get food off campus, where do you go and why? Ooh, I'd have to go. Depends on what I'm feeling, but I'd probably go with Checkpoint, which is the, the local like barbecue barbecue joint. Um, my order from there depends on how I'm feeling. Maybe a pulled pork sandwich or some chicken tenders and fries. But every single time I go to Checkpoint, I'm getting the deep fried Oreos. Okay. Okay. All so right. Good. We got a deep fried Oreo place here in Syracuse, Mod Paws Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. You got to get you some there. For real. Got to see what you think. All right. I like it. What's your next question for me? I'm going to stay on the same the same type thing. What is your favorite food or your favorite restaurant that you've been to? Okay. Well, I work with a lot of places here in Syracuse. I have my own sandwich at Mother's Cupboard, so, and I just it's ate it. Right. Yeah, I just ate it today. So, I... I love that sandwich because I never, I never know if I want like bacon and eggs or if I want French toast 
are pancakes. So when you make a sandwich where you have bacon, egg, and cheese inside of a French toast sandwich, it gives you like everything you could ask for sweet and savory, which is why I did it. And it's been awesome. The Cuse McMother has been very well received by people coming to Mother's Cupboard. So thank you all for that. I appreciate it. Keep getting it. Uh, many, many thanks to you because uh, they're a staple of Syracuse, New York. And so it's an honor to just be working with them, let alone have a sandwich there. It's pretty cool. Um, but if I had to pick a place, I'm going to pick, let me think. 